How are we doing? Good. We ready to blow some stuff up? I imagine every firefighter in Pierce County and maybe in other counties as well are thrilled that it's raining right now. Less work for them to do. Hopefully, everyone will burn their fireworks responsibly. All right. Well, hey, a couple things before we jump into Ephesians. We had the coolest thing happen on uh, Thursday. I believe it was Thursday. Was that Melita Benson was here at the office for the first time for a couple hours in like since March 18th. It was awesome. It was very awesome. Yeah. And, and I didn't realize this, but last service I was just saying she's working her way back. She, you know, she was in the hospital for six weeks, and then she's been out just trying to get her strength and, and try to become completely healthy so she could come back to work. And we, we, we cannot wait for her to come back to work. And little I know, she was back there in the corner, this, the first service, being quiet as a church mouse, just nothing. And then people are like, well, she's right here, you know. And so that's Melita's style. She likes to be quiet about things. But keep praying for her. We are we're close to having her back, and we really are thrilled about that, okay? Secondly, we have once a month been praying for a list. And the list is for our brothers and sisters in Christ, people just like you and me, Christians, Christ followers, in countries that it's very challenging, if not um, death-defying, to be a follower of Jesus. And number four on the list is Libya. And so I want to take a moment for us just to pray but for again, people just like you and me, they did not choose to be born in Libya, but that's where they are. And there are, there are followers of Jesus that if their faith is found out and they, they were to have a faith different than Islam, uh, their homes can be taken, their jobs can be taken. They certainly are subject to uh, brutal beatings uh, of all kinds. And so I want us just to take a moment and just to pray for them, for their courage, for their witness and testimony, and for the glory of God. Okay, so why don't you quietly to yourselves do that, and then I'll close this in prayer. Father, most of us would find it very difficult to comprehend what life is like waking up in Libya as a follower of Jesus. We thank you for the church there. And we pray your blessing of courage, witness, and testimony. We pray that their enemies and their oppressors would see in them a faith that defies explanation. And that scares them in such a way that they would question the very things that they believe. And that it would ultimately lead to a, an amazing turning away from Islam. And to you, God the Father, and faith in your son Jesus, empowered by your Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that that same spirit would empower me to speak. I have nothing to say, but you have everything to say. And I pray that that same spirit would be at work in every inch of this building. In Kid Zone, as teachers are teaching, as they are having conversations 
with the kids. I pray that seeds are being planted and seeds are being watered and tilled in a way that we are looking more and more like the church that you've always wanted us to look like. May you be honored and glorified as we open up your word. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Well, we are in our study on the book of Ephesians. We continue to do that. And I'm going to ask you to get your Bibles open to your table of contents. Those of you here, those of you that are home, or if you have your Bible app, in the New Testament, there is the book of Ephesians is about a third of the way down. So go ahead and turn. You'll be at chapter 1. We're going to finish actually chapter 4. So turn till you get to the last part of chapter 4, verses 17 through 32. Before we get there, just a simple question to start, and be honest with a show of hands. How many of you like to dress up? Raise your hand. Like to dress up. Okay, a smattering of people. And uh, it's, it's kind of like the first service. No one does this. It's kind of like, I hope no one sees me, right? Um, and I get that. I, I, I don't particularly like dressing up either. I like just being casual, kind of like Mike Shadle over here. That, that's, that's a cool casual right there. Mike, stand up for a minute. Just give us a little look at that. There we go. There we go. Yep, very nice. That's cool casual. I like that. Okay. But let's admit it. I would not look like, I would not walk into a job interview looking like that if I was going into a building where everyone else was wearing a suit. I wouldn't go to a funeral or a wedding looking that casual because and my wife will certainly be the first to tell you this. I have begged and screamed to try to get out of my house going to one of those without a tie on, and it's just a, it's futile. But the idea is when you dress up, what you're saying is that what I'm going to and the people I'm going to be around, it's very important. And I want to honor the people that I'm going to be around and the reason for which I'm going. I want, I want to show just in my dress how important it really is. And I think there are times for that. And for nothing else than to really get dressed up. And when you see someone dressed up and they stand out in the crowd, you, they kind of catch your eye. You're like, wow, they're going places. That must be something important that they're going to. There's just, we kind of connect that, right? Well, this morning, we come to this letter that Paul is writing to a church, to people just like you and me. And he talks about getting dressed up. Or at least that's the way I'm going to kind of frame it. I think you'll see it, and I'm, ask, I'm actually going to ask you to intentionally listen for it. But my hope in that is that I realize I'm working against a, t- a statistic. And statistically, I can count on at best that you'll remember what I'm going to say for 72 hours. That's all I got. And so I'm hoping today if I frame it the way I'm framing it, talking about let's get dressed up, I'm hoping that it will serve you beyond just the 72 hours hours that I can hope for at best, okay? So with that in mind, I'm going to read the last half of chapter 4, and what I want you to listen for, please listen for where Paul is talking about the old clothes, and clothes metaphorically standing for way of life. Just listen to how Paul describes the the old clothes, and then how he describes the new clothes. And then we're going to talk about what it means to spiritually dress up in the way that God's Word would have us. And it comes in the context, if you remember, the first part of chapter 4 was about being sticky. And we talked about, last week I said, let's get sticky. And I used the four objects or, 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 or I should say, virtues 
that were important for a church to be sticky, for people to be sticky, and I, and I refer to them as polymers, right? Polymers are molecules that, that stick together, and, and the, the, more, the longer the chain, the stronger the chain, the stronger the adhesive. And so coming out of, here are the four polymers, if you will, that, that a church needs to really be sticky, now Paul gets intensely practical, and he builds on that with this idea of getting dressed up. So just listen for the old clothes and for the new. Starting with verse 17. Paul says, therefore I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. Gentiles meaning non-Jews, but it's actually who he's talking to. He's talking to Gentiles. In the futility of their thoughts, verse 17 says, they are darkened in their understanding, excluded from a life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. And because of the hardness of their hearts, they became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. But that is not how you learned about the Messiah, Messiah being a reference to Jesus. Assuming you heard about him and were taught by him because the truth is in Jesus. You took off your former way of life, the old self, that is corrupted by deceitful desires. You are being renewed in the spirit of your minds. You, you put on the new self, the ones created the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. Since you put away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sin go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. The thief must no longer steal. Instead, he must do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language is to come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. All bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander must be removed from you, along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Did you hear the changing of the clothes? Did, did you hear the, the old clothes. In verse 22, he says, you took off your former way of life. He's talking to those who have since become followers of Jesus, who previously were darkened in their thoughts and the futility of their minds. And did you hear in verse 24, when he says, you've put on a new self. And then he goes to describe exactly what that is. Now, I want to call attention for a moment to the old clothes. And I think it's important that we understand what the old clothes are, because my friends, some of you in this, this morning are dressed in the way that Paul's describing up front. You you're have on what he would call old clothes. Others of us in this room have at time, a time or two, and maybe ones that are yet to come. It's like an old sweater or sweatshirt. We want to put it back on. It just feels comfortable. And so we're prone to doing that. And so I'd like to identify what those are just so we're mindful of them and certainly so we can contrast them with getting dressed up. And to do that, Paul says in verse 17, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. In the futility of their thoughts, they are darkened in their understanding. And I want to give you, I think, three thoughts that are, that are futile thoughts, that, that, that reveal darkened understanding and I think that characterize the old life, the the old way that we would dress up. And the first one comes when he says, and he makes reference to, that you were callous. 
in, in that they, they didn't care for anybody else. They weren't sensitive to other people's needs. All they cared about was for themselves. And then he made a reference. He says, you desire more for more. And the idea was, I'm not worried about anybody else but myself. I don't need anybody else but myself. And I think that kind of exposes that, that first thought that's darkened and, and futile. And that is that Christianity is for weak people. I don't need help. Do you remember when you were there? Some of you are there right now. You're like, Christianity's a crutch. I don't need help. Hard work, that's what really matters. And I'm going to work hard. And I'm going to get all that I deserve from the hard work that I put in. And I think that's, that's a thought that really is futile and darkened in many ways. Secondly, he, he described this old way of life, the old clothes that we have on, and that is the hardness of their hearts. And that was this idea, and I think this one really strikes a chord with many, and that is, it's the thought that, you know what, I'm not really that bad. Because what Christianity says is that Christianity says, is yes, you are that bad and you need a savior. And that Jesus, God had to give his son up to come down here to live a perfect life in your place and then to die a substitutionary death, absorbing the wrath of God for the sin of all of mankind, for your sin and my sin. But in our darkened thinking, we would, and we were, and some are now, thinking, there's no way I'm that bad. I'm not bad enough that God would have to give up his son to die for me. I'm just, I'm just not that bad. And Paul would say, my friends, that's the old life. That's the, that's, the, that's the standard life prior to getting dressed up. Christianity is an insult because I'm just not that bad. Thirdly and lastly for now, and that is that coming, going back to that reference, the hardness of their hearts do you remember when, and some of you now know, there was really no affection for the things of God. There was no interest in the things of God. There was interest in the world. There was interest in what you wanted to do, what, what name you wanted to make, what path you wanted to cut, what career you wanted to pursue, what goals you sought to achieve. There was very little interest for God. Because see, Christianity is a threat. I don't want to submit to anyone. I, I, I want to be Captain King and CEO of my life. Paul describes this idea of, I don't want to submit to anyone. He says, they gave themselves over to promiscuity, every kind of impurity. I believe that it's a safe statement to say that breaking sexual boundaries is pretty, a pretty typical characteristic of not wanting to submit or surrender to anyone. I remember when I was growing up and I didn't want to submit or surrender to anyone. And before I became a follower of Jesus, I, mean, I wish I could tell you that I honored God sexually and I didn't. And that's, that was me calling the shots. That was me saying, I'm not submitting to anyone. And I, I don't think I'm alone in that. This weekend, Saturday, yesterday, Yep, today's Sunday. Yeah, Saturday. When you get old, things like this happen. We were at Lake Taps. Beautiful day. We were getting out of our car from the parking lot, and there was this white pickup truck about two cars over. And on the back of it, in very bold, bright letters, was written, 
my choice plus my body equals my morality. And I want to focus on that. I was not focused on the my body, my choice. My body plus my choice. I was focused on the fact that the person who drove that truck honestly believes that they can define their own morality. They're not going to submit to anybody. I'm going to define it. And that speaks of how I certainly looked at it at a time, and I know some of you looked at it at a time like that, and some of you right now look at it like that. And Paul is describing this as the old way of life. And notice he makes this this connection. He says in verse 18 that they are excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance. It's believing these things. It's believing that you don't need help. It's believing that you're not that bad. It's believing that you are um, in control and you, you don't need to be threatened by anyone telling you what to do. It's believing that and living in light of that that Paul is saying and the word of God is saying that that's ignorant and it excludes you from God. And he says, take it off. You, you, you took it off before, take it off. Don't be fooled, don't be deceived. And he goes from taking off to putting on. And he's talking about when he says those who really practice these things, those who condone these things, those who believe these things are right, he says, are excluded from God. And my friends, you, you really, life does not end well for you that way. I remember batting my head against a, a wall trying to run from that and, and not have to submit to that. And, and, and I'm, I'm on the other side now, albeit imperfectly, and I'm, I'm God's work in progress. But I will tell you, you will not find the sweet spot of life until you realize the purpose for which you were created and made, and it was to submit and surrender to a God that loves you in a way you will never fully understand. And he's given you Jesus to try to communicate it to the fullest extent possible, the infinite love that he has for us as finite creatures. You just will not find it anywhere else, and I pray and hope that you'll come to realize that this morning. But then he says, put on the new clothes. And we're going to go through what those are. What does that look like? But I thought, how in the world do I ever help you guys to remember that? And so I thought, I, what I need to do is I need to undress in church. Because I'm trying to get this message past 72 hours. That's what I'm shooting for. And so I'm going to take off the old. And I'm going to put on the new. And in doing, whoops, I almost forgot. Whoo, excuse me, pardon me. Cue the music. Okay. So you can, like I said, when you wake up tomorrow morning and you start to get dressed, I hope you remember this. And you think about what do I need to put on this morning that constitutes dressing up in the way that we're about to talk about here in just a second. And then I hope you remember it the next day. And if I can get you all the way out to Friday, I've done something. I'm not done here. Hold on a minute. I'm about to show you why my wife married me. Okay? Uh, here it is. If I can get this on all right. How do it look, sweetheart? Now, remember, we're in church, okay? All right. 
So, she's a lucky gal, isn't she right here? I'm hoping this is working. Now, let's talk about, let's look at with the idea of putting on the new, getting dressed up. Verse 25, let's just take them each one at a time. He says, since you put away lines, speak the truth each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. I want you to notice that in each aspect of clothing, and I'm using clothing metaphorically, I'm inserting that into this, hopefully it's more memorable for you. He gives a reason. And the first thing he says is to really dress up is to be honest and to be trusted. To be honest, meaning not to lie. Why do we lie? We lie either to protect ourselves or to promote ourselves. I know this firsthand. Early on in, in high school, I remember I, I was prone to lie, to, to embellish, to make something sound better than it was because I was so insecure. And because my identity was in my, my sports stuff and, 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 a, and a, a person that I wanted people to believe that I was, I, I, I was not always truthful. But let's talk about trust. Notice he gives a reason for this. He says, because we are members of one another. We know by personal experience in our marriages with our kids that if there's no trust, then unity is hard to come by. It's hard to really be together when you cannot trust your spouse, when you cannot trust your kids. I mean, mom and dad, when you cannot trust your kids, is there a heartache bigger than that? Is there a fear worse than that? But how, do, how about in church? Can we trust one another in the church? I mean, if I had a dollar for every time someone told me, Kevin, I really feel like God's working in me. You're going to see me every Sunday. I'm going to be here. I'm going to be involved. I'm going to get involved. Three weeks later, four weeks later, they're right back to wearing their old clothes. I mean, I, I just, I don't trust what comes out of their mouths. And at times, I wish I could tell you that I held and followed through on everything I said, and I haven't. And I want to say this, if I can, just to the men for a moment, and this is in my own personal experience, and forgive me, I I do not mean to slight the women in this room at all. But men, hear me on this. Your, Your word, your word is your character. What you say you're going to do and when you're going to do it and how you're going to do it, and you you gotta follow through on that in order to be respected, in order to have the integrity that you need as a husband and as a father. Just hear me on that. Don't shirk back from that. And I say that that way because in my experience, I see men whose words cannot be trusted in the way that the women that I've interacted with and been around. And I don't know if men think that they've got some out or that they're just not being careful with their words, but in order to really dress up, we, we need honesty and we need to be trusted because we need to be together, to be one another. Secondly, verse 26 and 27, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. 
you know, this is an amazing verse because, for one, do you notice that it says that we can actually be angry and not sin? But there is an anger that does involve sin. And Paul says it's okay to put on and, and, and encourage, put on the, the righteous anger. Put on the anger that's not about you. Put on the anger that really is about where you see evil prevailing over good, where you see uh, injustice happening, where you see bad things happening to other people. Get angry about that. Get angry about that. Because you're created in the image of God, and he hates injustice. And when we see it, we are to respond with righteous anger. Now, we have to be careful with that, right? Because in our righteous anger, it's still tainted with our brokenness. And so that means we have to humbly and cautiously let our anger be expressed. And we use words to express the hurt. And we use our emotions, calculated, measured emotions, to communicate the hurt. And, and we do that, and, and we, and we and on. In all likelihood, we wound people when we do that, but our wounds are not retaliatory. Because, and, and make sure you, you get this. I'm, I'm sure you've learned this through experience. You are never ready, and I am never ready to righteously, in our anger, speak to anyone until we have a component of sorrow. I mean, come on, let's be honest, right? You're ready to, when you're angry, I'm going to let them have it. And, and everything you're saying could be very true. But when you say it angrily, unrighteously, that puts them on the defensive. And it makes it about you, right? It makes it about me. But righteous anger is about others. And so it's not until you feel the sorrow for them and the people around them. Then, my friends, your heart is ready. And God will honor your words. But let's talk about the unrighteous anger, because that's 95% of our anger, right? And Paul kind of describes it this way in verse 31. He says, all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting, and slander must be removed from you. Take them off, along with all malice. You know, when you peel the onion back on unrighteous anger, what you find is that most of our anger comes from the fact that we are having to wait to get what we want if we can even get it at all. Someone or something is blocking what we want, what we think we deserve, what we think will make us happy, and we're having to wait for it and maybe even question whether it will happen. And that creates in us anger. And that comes because we are facing the reality whether it be temporary or permanent, that we're not in control. And we don't like that. And when we have to wait on something or someone and not get what we want, we feel this helpless, I'm not in control. And comes this unrighteous anger that often gets expressed with shouting and screaming and, and the change of tone. I mean, I'm certain that most of us in here, if not all of us at some point, have either seen, you've been on one side of this conversation, and that is someone starts losing control and power in the conversation, and what do they do? They get louder. They use profanity. They, they use condemning words because they're trying, albeit feebly, to get the power and control they think they need. 
to secure what they believe they deserve or they want or will make them happy. And Paul is saying with everything that you have, take that off. Because he gives us the reason. What is it? He says, you'll give the devil some leverage in your life. You'll create this little ledge that he can sit right there and he can speak into and inflame and incite in you that which he wants ultimately for your destruction. And so Paul gives us a reason to take off the anger. Keep moving. Verse 28. He says, the thief must no longer steal. Instead, he must do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. Now, most likely what Paul's talking about here is, again, th- this is a, a new church, and you have people that are coming to be followers of Jesus, and in many cases, there are some who are poor. And the way they managed prior to that was that they would steal. That was just the way they found how to make ends meet. Now, whether that was because of some situation they were in that, that seemingly they, they could not work or because they chose not to work, it was just easier to do it this way. Now, I suspect, how do we bring that to today? Well, I think clearly I would just say, hey, don't like steal stuff, right? Don't like go in somebody's house and take something. Don't bash in a window and, and pull something out of a car. But I don't know that I really need to say that. Well, maybe I do. I think the stealing that we're more susceptible to is when we kind of come, and, and in particular when we come to church, or I, I can see this live playing out in, in, in the family, in the home, and that is just coming as takers. I, you know, I, I speak to me, talk to me, help me, uh, serve me, uh, meet a need of mine. And it's just take and take and take. And there's no giving. To quote Matt Foley, famous motivational speaker, they don't do jack squat. They just don't. And, and there, there are some people, that's, in a sense, when you take and don't give, in, in a way, it's stealing. You see, in a church family in particular, in your, in your own family, the idea is we're all working together. We're all using our gifts and abilities to serve one another. And it's what Paul said earlier before we, in verse 16, we're building up the body. And people that just come selfishly to just take and they're just lazy and sit there and do nothing because they're self-absorbed. My friend, I believe that's the challenging word that Paul has for you. And the idea is that he wants them. Back then, he wanted them, go get a job. Go make the ends meet. Go find resources. So he says, what's the reason? So you can help others who have needs. So we put on the hard work Next, verse 29. No foul language is to come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in these so that it gives grace to those who hear and don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Yama. Paul is saying, and I've, I've memorized it this way, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word is good for edification according to the need of the moment that may grace those who hear. Let no unwholesome word. By a show of hands, how many of you have let some unwholesome words out this week? Bing, right? I mean, raise it high. None of this, raise it high, right? I mean, encompassed in this word certainly is profanity. It's using God's name in vain. Um, it's 
lying. It's saying you're going to do something, you're not going to do it. It's, uh, you know, uh, jokes that really kind of have a subtle, really truth to them that, that are really kind of put downs. Uh, it's gossip. Gossip. You know what gossip is? Gossip is when you say something about somebody else and they're not there and it's not flattering them. I mean, you can come home and say, hey, sweetheart, you're not going to believe it, but the Wilson's got a new dog, a little golden uh, retriever puppy, and he's the cutest thing in the world. That's not gossip. But if you come home and go, sweetheart, man, the Wilsons were fighting like cat and dogs out in the front yard. It was really bad. It was terrible. She was mad at him. That's gossip. And we have to be really careful because Satan loves to prey on gossip and loves to get in and just create division. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only what is good for edification. Let's just talk about the harsh words and the quarreling words that we see, sadly, with some regularity on social media. My friends, what Paul refers to here, and God certainly knew that social media and, and, and typing of text was going to come, is included that we are to post only that which builds now, granted, you can debate things in a healthy way that will build up. But you're walking a razor edge line there. And I'm, and I'm not saying don't do that, but you're walking a razor edge line. Just respect the line that you're walking so that you and I both do that in a way that builds up. And to the person here who has the gift of being and seeing the glass half empty, and I mean that with all sincerity, we need people like you. We're blind without you. I'll ask you first, but I think the question applies to all of us. What is the ratio of your comments that are critical to those that are encouraging? Are you happy with that ratio? Do you say as many critical words as you say encouraging words? Do you say more critical words than you say? Just ask yourself, what's the ratio? Am I putting on the new self that I'm encouraging more than I'm criticizing. Now, sometimes I realize the criticizing is with good intention to mind. And as I said, that's, maybe that's righteous anger speaking the truth. You, you've got to do it humbly, and you have to do it cautiously, and you have to do it with sorrow in your mind and in your heart for that person, right? And then, then you're okay. But notice how important this is to Paul. He connects verse 30. He says, and don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You see, when we speak, because our words are powerful... When we speak them in ways that are not edifying and building up, it grieves the Spirit of God. I mean, I have to own the fact that this week I have grieved the Spirit of God. And I suspect you would too as well. And I don't want to do that. And I know you don't want to do that. And Paul's just reminding us how important our words are. Verse 32, he says, and be kind and compassionate to one another. This is in contrast to the callousness and the hardness of hearts that he's speaking. We just need to be kind. And compassion means we actually care about and are sensitive to people around us that are in need. We're not just focused on ourselves. But let me close out the last one. He says, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. You see, we cannot, by putting on and getting dressed up, we cannot hold against someone their sins. 
we cannot wish for their demise or, or, or for something bad to happen to them or not. Maybe we don't wish for it, but when something does happen inside, there's a little party we have kind of inside. Yay! You know, we can't do that. We haven't forgiven them when we do that. We can't go on stealth mode and be passive aggressive and, and, and just, you know, we can't talk to other people about that person, whether it be our children, a friend, a sibling, whatever it is. We, we cannot, we are to forgive. And notice he says the reason. We're to forgive what? Just as God also forgave you in Christ. That is the reason, the motivation. I will say this, I think it's an easy connection here. The extent to which you understand the forgiveness you needed from God for your brokenness will be the extent you're able to issue forgiveness to someone who's hurt you. And the more you comprehend and understand what God has forgiven you for and continues to forgive you for will impact how you forgive others. Now, a few qualifiers. Forgiveness doesn't mean you put yourself right back in a difficult situation, in a dangerous situation. It doesn't. It means you extend forgiveness and you say, you know what, I'm not longer going to wish for your demise. I'm not going to hold this against you, but I'm going to be smart. And I'm going to step back and our relationship's going to be a little bit different. Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter uh, 5 and chapter 18 that to the person who's been hurt, the responsibility is on you to go see that it can be made right. To the person who hurt, the responsibility is on you to go see that you can make it right. That's how important relationships are. And forgiveness is a critical piece to that. Now, the last thing you got to ask is, well, what if they don't want to be forgiven? What if they think they haven't done anything wrong? What if they've really hurt me and they haven't asked for my forgiveness because they think they haven't done anything wrong, so why ask? Well, that's a challenging dilemma, and I kind of go back and forth a little bit on that. Uh, first thing I would say is you've you got to kind of really weigh the weight of that hurt that's been done to you. And you have to ask yourself, is this something that maybe I could just really honestly see as was a, was a bad day, a bad week, or a bad month? And, and it's something I, I think I can let go of and, 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 and continue in that relationship. If that's the case, then move on. But if you see it as a, as a real... Um, piercing of your relationship to where there's some irreparable damage and you're just not going to be able to move forward, then you need to press the issue and you need to come and you need to tell how you've been hurt. And if they still say, I don't think I hurt you. I think you've overreacted. I didn't do that. Well, at some point, you really can't forgive them because they're not asking for it in one sense, but in another sense, you can in that you give it to God and you say, God, this, this injustice has happened to me. I'm hurting, I give you the hurt because I know you can understand it for you have been hurt many times over. And God, I, I will trust that you will give me what I need to not let this haunt me, to not let bitterness and resentment build up in me. And then you pray for that person that they will come to see that and step towards you. Okay? But that's what it means to put on new clothes. Now, I want to finish this way. It's super important. When you get dressed up, you've got everything on. You've shined your shoes. You button your tuck in your shirt. You button your jacket. You're in your your bedroom. What's the next room that I go into? Or what, what's the next thing that I do? I look in a mirror, right? And I kind of do all because I want to make sure that I look good, right? Thank you, sweetheart. Come on. But 
But when you look in a mirror, metaphorically speaking, and this is, why, this is where this comes in chapter 4. Remember, chapters 1, 2, and 3 have all been about the grace of God, have all been about God's pursuit of you, have all been about God's dumping in your life these incredibly, immeasurably amazing gifts of being chosen, of being redeemed, of being predestined, of being given an inheritance, of being grace after grace after grace. Now comes action. And so when you're looking in the mirror wondering, am I dressed up? you got to ask yourself, am I looking at what I've done and dressing up in terms of the things that we talked about, what those actions are? Am I doing them after grace or to try to get grace? You see, to try to get them before grace is religion, my friends, and there's no dressing up there. You just, you just ugly, all right? That's ugly. But when you realize all you've got in Christ and you don't have to get, you've already been given. And now when you speak um, humbly and honestly with love to help somebody else, uh, when you let uh, righteous anger prevail, when you use encouraging words, you're doing it as a response to what you already have, not what you're trying to get. My friends, to quote ZZ Top, you're a sharp-dressed man and woman. Okay. I got Chris Foley and ZZ Top in a sermon. I'm a, I'm, I feel good about that. But that is so critical that we understand that the mirror of you and I getting dressed up is grace. And the last thing I'll say about it, and then I'll give you your homework, the last thing I'll say is that Paul, notice and this is super important, Paul says that you take off and you put on. And behind that is a concept in the scripture that is so important to living a life that truly is honoring of God, that truly will draw attention uh, to the outside world, and it's called repentance. And repentance is when you take off the old, you, 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 re, you reimagine what life can be with God. You, you change your thinking, but you also change your direction, and you begin to walk, and you do, and you live in the way that would reflect the image of God. And that is exactly what Paul is saying. Repent to the church in Ephesus. Dress up in repentance. Take off the old and put on the new. And that will build up the body of Christ. That will draw the attention to God and his church. So, with that in mind, the last thing I'll say is, I'm going to challenge some of you, change your clothes this morning. Not literally, but some of you have got old clothes on where you don't think you need help and you don't think you're that bad and you, you don't want to surrender and submit to anyone. My friends, your life will not make any sense until you do that, until you submit and you turn and you put your faith and trust in Jesus. He is saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Get dressed up this morning. Start there. To those of you who have been dressed up, I would ask you to focus on one aspect of the new clothes that we just talked about. One per week. Going forward, just pick one of them and say, this is the one I'm focusing on this week. This is the one I'm focusing on. And, very important, I don't mean you focus on it and, okay, I'm going to do the best to say all my encouraging words. I'm going to write all my reminders. I'm going to do the best. No, after, after you spend some time with God. So it's the, it's the overflow. It's the product of the grace that you've already received that you then pass along. That's the difference between religion and relationship. That's the difference between ugly and sharp dressed like this, okay? 
Let me pray. God, thank you for your patience with us. I pray, Lord God, as we go to your table now, as we celebrate in communion what you have done for us, Lord Jesus, so that we could be dressed up, not so that it's about us, but it's about you, and that the world that's looking for someone just like you would see it in us. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. I'm going to ask if you would to get, if you came in and you don't have, those of you that are followers of Jesus, um, I'm going to ask you to get the cup. If you go back to the tables, if you don't have one, you can do that. To those of, who, of you that are not followers, what I'm about to say, I always kind of cringe when I do it because I think you've, you've heard from church people, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. And I, I'm, I'm going to say, this is really for followers of Christ. And, and we don't want to put something in your hands that you don't, you don't know what it is, and you, you don't know what to do with it. And, and now we're putting you in a situation where maybe you're going to compromise maybe your, your own current beliefs right now, and, and we don't want that for you. We hope and pray that this morning and what you're going to watch us do as we celebrate and remember what Jesus has done for us, we pray that that's a seed that's been planted and, and something amazing will grow from that. So with that being said, let's all, if we can, peel back the top, very top layer, take some coordination and do that and get to the bread. And this bread is, Jesus took the bread and real bread and he said, this is my body. And obviously he was speaking metaphorically and he was referring to the fact that God who is spirit came down in the person of Jesus Christ with a human body. And he said, I'm going to die for you. My body's going to be broken for you. In other words, I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to absorb the judgment of God with a human body because I represent all of humanity. And so I want us to take this bread mindful that Jesus' body was broken for your sins, not just past sins, not just the ones happening right now, but the ones that are to come. And we praise him as we take and are reminded of his body broken for us. And if you'll peel back the second layer, the juice. He took the cup on the last night before he was betrayed. And again, he picked it up and there was wine in it. But he said, this is my blood. He said, it's going to be shed for you to cover all of your sins. So not only did God take on a human body, being fully God and fully man, and, and die a substitutionary death, but the blood symbolizes that he covers all of our sins. We might remember them, but he doesn't. And if he doesn't, we shouldn't. And so let's take this mindful that we have been forgiven for all of our sins for all of eternity. Pray with me if you would. Father, thank you for this reminder. Thank you for your infinite mercy, grace, and patience. Thank you that we are loved with a scary kind of love. God, I, I don't know any person in here or any person listening to this message wouldn't jump in harm's way of their children. That if someone were to threaten their children, seek to kill their children, they would go down till their death to save their children. But God, you gave up your son. 
That is a scary kind of love. It's an amazing kind of love. It's a love we look for in so many different places and people, but it's only found in Jesus. We need this reminder. And I pray your blessing as we continue to worship you in light of that love. In Christ's name, amen.